Hello, and welcome to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Shannon Paulus. I'm a writer for Slate, where I cover health and science. This season, we're talking about the world of running, with athletes, coaches, and people who do all manner of things to help others go for a run. This week, we're talking to Amy Sanchez, a researcher who studies what running does to breasts, how they move around, and how sports bras help hold them in place. In addition to basic breast physics, she works with companies to design and test sports bras, and has lots of tips on what to look for in a supportive bra. As a woman who's on a lifelong mission to find bras I don't hate, I was pretty jealous to hear about all the products she gets to try out. What is your name and what do you do? So my name is Dr. Amy Sanchez, and I am a senior research associate with the research group in breast health at the University of Portsmouth. And what kind of research do you do? So my research is centered around breast health. Predominantly, I do fundamental research. So I look at skin damage on the breast caused by gravity, but also by exercise. But I'm also involved in more commercial research that quite often involves product testing or working with companies to develop better sports bras or everyday bras um, for women. So when you say that you sometimes help companies develop a better sports bra, how good are the sports bras that we have now for breasts? There's obviously a massive range of sports bras available. We see a big range of results, though. Some really aren't very effective at controlling breast motion. So that's one of the ways that we normally test products is how well they control breast motion because you, you don't want your breast to be moving around all over the place when you're trying to do your sport. So that's one of the ways that we assess how good a sports bra is. Some of the bras, they're not really much better than like a vest top and they're quite stretchy and you get lots and lots of movement. So they're not really very effective by that measure. Other bras we test do a pretty good job um, because some companies do put a lot of time and effort into research and fitting and the kind of, they really care about how their products are performing when we test them. So you can get, you can get some pretty effective sports bras. So when I hear the word testing sports bras, I think of, you know, ordering a bunch online and then trying them out and going for a jog and saying, oh, this feels comfortable or this doesn't feel comfortable. What does it mean to scientifically test a sports bra? So we have at the University of Portsmouth, we have like a standard bra testing method that most of the companies we work with will follow. We put electromagnetic sensors on the body. So we put two on the front and two on the spine and that kind of shows us how your body's moving. We then put a sensor on each nipple, and that gives us a measure of what your breasts are doing. You would then kind of put a sports bra on, and you would run on a treadmill. Uh, We usually run for about two minutes in each bra, and we can use the data from the sensors to look at how much your breasts are moving inside the bra. Uh, We then compare this to a bare-breasted run. So the bare-breasted one represents the the kind of worst case scenario, and we can see how effective the bra is at reducing that movement that would have occurred without a bra. Um, And we do that in lots of different bras. We also get some uh, subjective data from our participants. So they'll have a questionnaire about each bra. So did they have breast pain? Was the bra uncomfortable? Did it rub or chafe anywhere? How easy was it to get on and off? Like, what did they like about it? What did they not like about it? So we collect quite a lot of data about each product that we test and we use the same group of participants to test a big group of products so that we can compare all the all the results at the end. 
my entire body just shuddered when you said bare-breasted run. Yeah. <laughs> it does not sound like fun. Do you find that folks are pretty good at assessing what bras are doing a good job? Like if I feel comfortable in a sports bra on a run and it feels like, you know, there's not a lot of bouncing that's uncomfortable. Does that match up with the quantitative data on bouncing or are there issues that can crop up where say, oh, this bra feels comfortable, but actually it's doing this motion that's going to cause problems down the line? Yeah, we do see very mixed results, especially when it comes to pain, because that's such a subjective thing. So some women don't really experience much breast pain at all, even if they didn't have a bra on. And for them, I think it's hard to quantify how effective the bras are. And they're more thinking about kind of how soft the material is or how like how nice it feels against their skin, in which case the bras that, you know, they're not as tight fitting. They're just kind of more like what you might wear for yoga. They kind of feel really comfortable but they're not necessarily very supportive. Whereas women that do have a lot of breast pain that kind of, you know, are saying they're getting really bad breast pain when there's when they're not supported, uh, they might be they might be better at distinguishing between supportive and not supportive bras when they're doing the testing. Um, but one problem we do we do see quite often with the ones bras that are really good at stopping motion, they tend to be quite tight fitting and they also tend to have like a high neckline, high and high um under the arms and that can sometimes be quite uncomfortable especially if you're not used to wearing something like that so then it gets rate it gets rated down on a comfort score so it's a bit of a minefield really kind of analyzing the data and and presenting it to companies and I guess they kind of choose what's most important for them when in their product are there any other features that make a really solid effective sports bra other than you know the high neck and the high underarms uh, so again I'm going to assume that for effective sports bra we're going to talk about kind of reducing breast motion. Okay. Again, that might not always be the the case. That might always be what you want your sports bra to do. But we tend to find the encapsulation styles more effective. So that's a bra. It's not like a crop top. It's it's one that's got two separate cups. They are supposed to fit each breast perfectly, and the material is quite rigid. So that kind of holds your breast in that in that steady position when you're doing your activity. Um, and the good thing about those bras is they tend to come in an underband and a cup size. So you can get a much better fit with that style of bra than you can with like a crop top that just comes in a small, medium or large. So we would recommend if if you want to control breast motion to kind of look at those encapsulation styles. But it is also really important that you get the fit right, because if the fit's not right, the bra is not going to be very effective. And so you mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking before the interview started that you do education with athletes about how to find a good fitting bra. How do you know that a sports bra is fitting well other than it feels good? Um, okay, so we advertise a five point f- uh, best fit method when assessing your bra. So we'd always recommend kind of if you're going to go and buy a new bra, you should take a few sizes of a bra you like into the changing room try one on and then once you're wearing it you need to check that the band is fitting tightly so the bit that goes around your torso that should be quite snug so really it should be as tight as you can comfortably fit it because that's kind of going to anchor the bra onto you and that's where most of the support should be coming from so we usually say that you should only be able to pull the underband away about an inch and that should be on the loosest setting if you're buying a new bra if the band is fitting correctly You should then look at the cups. So you don't want any kind of gaping in the cups and you don't want to be spilling out of them. They should just encase the breast 
perfectly. Uh, if the bra has got wire, you want to check that the wire is sitting around the base of the breast and it's not pushing on any breast tissue. You then want to check the strap. So similar to the underband, they should pull away about an inch. A lot of women kind of over-tighten the straps and that tends to pull the band up and also it can cause damage like the shoulder grooves that you sometimes see in women and that's really not, not very good for you. So you don't want to be over-tightening the straps. And then lastly, you should check the centre of the bra at the front and that should sit flat against your body. If it's pulling away, then the band is probably too loose and the cups are too small. So you want to check those five key points every time you try a bra on. And if you're not meeting any of them, you should go up or down a size until you get that fit right. So you mentioned that individuals can sometimes have a hard time assessing whether a bra is doing a good job if they don't feel pain, but maybe there still is a lot of bounce happening anyway. Why would it be important to minimize that bounce for long-term breast health, even if you go out for a run and it feels comfortable by your standards? Even if you don't feel pain, the movement of your breast can be damaging the skin, which is the breast's main supporting structure. So over time, if you are damaging the skin, it can lead to um, premature breast sag, which a lot of women also, they don't, that's not something they want. So if you think about that now and you're wearing appropriate breast support, you can protect your breasts from, from damage. Um, there's also, we've done studies looking at performance, so athletic performance, and there's lots of indicators that show you perform less efficiently if you're in low breast support, inappropriate breast support. So you can actually improve your sporting performance by just wearing a better bra, particularly for athletes. That might be a real factor to think about. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Can you talk a little bit about what the structure of the breast is like? Because that sounds kind of surprising to me that the skin is the main supporting structure. It, it strikes me as, you know, kind of flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's quite that is quite true. The breast is quite flimsy or malleable, I would probably say. <laughs> um so they're basically, there's no bone or muscle inside the breast. All of that lies underneath the breast structure. So your breast is basically, it's covered in skin. And inside the skin, you've got glandular tissue, which is the functional tissue that lets you uh, breastfeed. And then you've also got fatty tissue. There are very, very thin ligaments inside the breast called the Cooper's ligaments, but they don't really add much structural integrity to the breast it's mainly just supported by the skin on the outside and that skin is like the skin does stretch and it's meant to stretch but if you stretch it beyond a certain point it won't go back to its original length and that's when you can get the damage and the breast sag 
over time. I'm thinking back to like a basic physics class where you have a spring that like you stretch a little bit and it snaps back and then you stretch it too far and it's just like a permanently damaged spring. Is that a good analogy for that? That's a really good analogy. It's pretty much exactly that. If you stretch it beyond its limit, it won't go back to its original length and you're left with that permanent, the permanent stretch that that gives you the kind of the sag of the breast. Can that kind of damage happen even in lighter sports like yoga or walking? Or is that kind of damage more common in uh, higher impact sports? So it definitely does happen in low impact. So my PhD study was the first study to investigate this. And I found that for some women, even just standing still, the force of gravity on the breast was enough to stretch the skin beyond its elastic limit. So literally just by standing still without breast support, you're causing the breast to sag, which is crazy. (laughs) And then if you add dynamic activity to that, so walking or running, you're just adding to that stretch. Um, So you're more likely to go into that kind of damaged region. But yes, even, even standing still, some women experience damaging skin stretch. That's terrible news. <laughs> I'm like thinking of all the times I go out and walk my dog without wearing a bra. Maybe you should get even just a low support bra will will help against a premature sag. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you've sold me already on that. <laughs> um, and is that premature sag? Obviously, like that's not a great cosmetic issue. But are there any health reasons why you would want to avoid that? Um, so it's, it is mainly an aesthetic thing. There's been a bit of research into kind of disease, if there's any kind of disease caused by breast by poor breast support. And results have been a bit inconclusive, but the indication is that you're you're not going to you're not going to get a disease or you're not going to have breast cancer or any of those kind of illnesses because of the bra that you're wearing. There are a few issues that have been reported with poor bra fit, but not by just not wearing a bra. Um, so you're not going to be causing any kind of illness or sickness. It's just kind of an aesthetic damage to the breast tissue. What are the issues that are caused by poor bra fit? Uh, so I've read a couple of studies. Again, it's not a, wi- a widely researched field, but some saying that if the if the underwire is lying on the breast tissue, you can cause kind of poor uh, drainage of the lymph nodes and stuff, which can affect your uh, immune system and make you and can cause an illness. Um, I've also read studies about having the underband too tight. I think that I think that caused issues for some women, but I don't know exactly. It wasn't our research, but these do tend to be just the odd studies, and we usually wouldn't kind of. It's not an accepted fact. It's just someone's someone's tested a few women and they found certain results. So yeah, maybe poor fitting bras could cause a bit of damage. So that's why it's really important to have a well-fitting bra but we would always advocate kind of kind of wearing some kind of breast support just to protect against all those other factors as well embarrassment pain reduced performance and then the the damage and the sagging so this sounds like a really young kind of exciting field what made you want to study this it is a new field so i i came into to work at the research group in 2012 i think they were about six years old at the time. And I actually heard about it through a friend who was a lecturer at the University of Portsmouth. And he was working with the research group. And I was actually doing a physics degree at the time. And it's not really something I'd thought about. I don't think many people really think about the science that goes into bras and breasts. 
but the more I spoke to him, the more I kind of realized what a big issue it is for a, a large chunk of the population. And I really thought that having my physics background would bring something quite unique to the research group. And I thought I could do something that would hopefully help a lot of women or or make a better product or kind of just do something useful with all the science that I'd that I'd learned through my university. So I I went on to do a PhD with the research group and then from there um, got a senior research associate position. And yeah, I've kind of been there since then, really. <laughs> what was the most surprising thing going from an environment where you're studying physics and you're around other physicists to going into a multidisciplinary group? I think it was quite refreshing for me, actually. <laughs> a lot of people that do physics, they absolutely love physics and they want to talk about physics all the time, like including in their spare time. <laughs> and I was never like obsessed with it to that extent. Like I was good at it and I had a natural kind of inclination for quantitative data like numbers and graphs and things but it wasn't my whole life and I had I definitely had many other interests um so I I found it really nice moving to the breast health research group where you have psychologists physiologists biomechanists people with a sports background people with kind of you know a counseling background and kind of getting to talk to all those people it's really nice to see all the different perspectives on things and just the diverse out of work interests of all those people as well. It's a really nice environment to work in. That sounds great. Yeah, I studied physics in undergrad as well, and I definitely oh, have really? the same feeling. What do the psychologists do? How do you work with them? Uh, we've had a few psychologists work with our group. Most recently, they've been working on a project with schoolgirls. So they've been asking kind of school aged girls what their concerns are about their breasts, like kind of assessing their level of knowledge, which was actually quite poor. Um, so then we developed a, like an educational, like a 50-minute educational workshop thing that could be delivered in schools. And we assessed the effect of that on their on their knowledge and awareness and found that it, it's improved a lot and it's a kind of sustained improvement when we tested six months later. It's also massively improved their willingness to exercise, which obviously has much kind of broader reaching implications if they're exercising more they're probably going to be healthier and kind of have more interest into their adult life so that's kind of something that's come from a psychology background but has has had quite a big impact on a lot of schoolgirls that we've we've worked with and we're actually hoping to roll that program out um, across the UK through um, three meetings with the government so that's really an exciting project that's happening at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Has anything changed about your personal habits or your personal exercise habits or the kinds of garments you buy since you started doing this work? Uh, yes, it has. So I must admit I was one of those people that I don't think I even owned a sports bra. 
um, because I'd never, I didn't have any breast pain. So I hadn't thought of all those other implications. And I was like, I guess you just grow up from being a child to an adult. And if you don't have any pain, like, why would you change anything? So I would just wear like a, a normal everyday bra for doing sport. And my main sport was gymnastics. So again, like a lot of people in gymnastics are also very young. So I just like no one really said anything to me. <laughs> um, and then working with the group, it probably it probably did take about six months for me to be like, okay, I really should buy, <laughs> I really should buy some sports bras <laughs> because perhaps this isn't the best thing to be doing. I've been uh, persuaded. <laughs> I'm really grateful for all the knowledge that I've gained because I think a lot of women are just really overwhelmed when it comes to buying stuff. Whereas I have the luxury of working in a lab full of sports bras and I can t I can like try on as hundreds if I wanted I could try on like all the new the new prototypes or kind of hear about everything that's kind of going on in that world and decide what is good for me and what's not good for me before I go out and buy something because I I completely appreciate they're quite an expensive thing to buy so if you if you don't really know what you're doing I can understand why people either don't buy them or they buy one that doesn't really fit properly and then they just think sports bras are really uncomfortable but they're, they're really not if you put the time into finding finding one that's right for you they are uh, much better than wearing your t-shirt bra for doing sport <laughs> that sounds like so much fun to have access to all those products is there like I'm just imagining like a closet full of sports bras <laughs> is do you have something like that yeah so I think originally it was a closet and now it's literally like the whole lab is just full of bras <laughs> yeah we do we work with lots of companies and a lot of the work that we do is testing products so we always are getting products kind of shipped into the lab we use it for a study and then we'll send we'll send them back but it means you get to see a lot of a lot of products and some of them are ones that are already available so they're the same ones you'd see in the high street but some are, are like really innovative prototype designs where a company is just trying something crazy to see if it's good or not good or what people think of it so yeah we get to see a lot of interesting stuff um and it's yeah, it's quite a fun place to take visitors to the to the breast research lab because they're always a bit amazed at how many how many bras there are everywhere. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you've seen on a sports bra where you're like, I didn't know that they could do that. So I probably am not allowed to talk about a lot of those things just because like the prototype things we get tend to be under non disclosure. So top secret yeah, I can't bras. Really, yeah, I can't really say too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there an example of something that? is cool and is already on the market or innovative that like most people might not know about that you can go out and buy right now so there's a product that came out based on my phd work and that is commercially available now so that's probably okay to talk about <laughs> so my phd was focusing on more on the damage side looking at skin strain so where i said that most sports bras are tested by just how much movement they reduce i came up with a different way to test them which was kind of finding that non-strained position and then the bra has to has to lift and position the breast in that zero strain position and then it has to stop any stop movement beyond the kind of 60% damage limit so rather than just referencing the bare breasted like motion of the breast there's actually this optimum position that the that the bra can aim for um and so there was a bra made by shock absorber, shock absorber fly bra, and that was based on my PhD stuff. So considering the strain on the breast, so trying to to minimise that so that you're minimising any risk of damage to the tissues. So that's quite an innovative thing because it's not based on the on the movement side of thing that pretty much all the other 
sports bras have been based on. That's so cool that there's actually a sports bra based on your PhD work. Yeah, so they made a whole range of products and we tested a lot of them and that's the one that's currently available. I don't know, in the future, hopefully they would be more like a whole range, but we'll see. (laughs) What is that zero strain position for breasts? So that varies for every person because every person's breast is different. So the way I did it in my PhD was you kind of have to find a way to counteract the effect of gravity on the breast. So I did a big like review of literature looking at all the different densities of women's breasts and there there basically isn't a nice convenient value that's the same for everyone. (laughs) So I used the density of water and the density of oil to be kind of either side of breast density. So I immersed people in water and I immersed people in oil and I found the midpoint like of the position of the breast. And that was their a non-strain or zero strain position. That was kind of a one-off study because of the oil. So now we just do it using water. So we use water to support the breast. And that is our reference position for the zero strain. And then from that position, we can look at how the breast deforms when they're standing still, but also when they're doing various activities or, or running on a treadmill, for example. So it's kind of the position that your breast would be in if you were floating in outer space and there wasn't anything pulling down on it. Yeah, exactly. How do you immerse the study subject in oil? So <laughs> I'd say that was a one-off thing, really, because it was a bit crazy. <laughs> we basically got a big 600-litre water tank and bought a lot of cooking oil <laughs> and filled it up and heated it. And they just climbed in, <laughs> sat, in sat in there. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a lot of health and safety uh, things to go through for that. Because um, obviously you're quite slippery when you come out as well. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't not sound relaxing to be sitting in like a giant warm vat of oil. It smelled a bit like a chip shop by the end of the day, but it was it was fun. So obviously that's an anomaly for your work day. I'm wondering if you could take us through what like an average day at the office looks like for you. What do you do in the morning? What are you worried about by like 2 p.m.? Um, so that's probably quite a hard one to answer as well because it is so varied. I think it's probably the same with a lot of research jobs. Um, so I guess most days I'd probably like come in and check my emails as I'm sure most people that work in an office do. And then it really depends like what stage of projects I'm at because I might be in the lab. So I might be meeting participants all day and just be collecting data, or I might have kind of finished that part and I'd be just like doing some data analysis, like running stuff through a program, producing some charts or graphs or something. Or I could be writing a report and that could be a report for a company because I've done some company testing or it could be an academic publication. So if I'd been doing some more fundamental research, I'd probably want to be publishing that in an academic journal. So I could be writing a paper or kind of making amendments to a paper. We also quite often do events like educational workshops or kind of industry days where we meet people in the industry. So I might be doing a presentation or meeting with a with a company, or I could just be reading a lot of paper papers and kind of, yeah, reading information because I'm preparing for a study or because I've got some weird results and I don't really understand them. So I'm kind of trying to find if anyone else has done something similar in the past. So yeah, it's really it's really varied. Probably most days I'd only be doing one of those things, but it could really change week to week just because of of the work that comes and goes through our research group. What research are you working on right now? Uh, so the majority of my time, I'm still doing the skin damage um, project. So the stage it's at now, so we are kind of working to develop products. So it could be 
it could be product testing for that. So using the water immersion and then looking at how the breast moves when you get out the water and when you start doing activity. But I'm also doing a project working with um, the British elite athletes. So again, part of that is is education. So kind of teaching them about breast support and the implications it can have for their performance. But also we wanted to get feedback from them because a lot of sports bras have been developed based on running. But obviously there's hundreds of different sports and not all of those sports are the same as running or have or have that kind of movement involved. So the requirements of elite athletes actually we found quite often don't meet the requirements that we've kind of assumed in the sports bra industry. Um, so it was really interesting to hear from them actually what they want in a sports bra. And then we're trying to develop some custom sports bras for specific athletes in specific sports. So that's a really interesting project that I've been working on as well. That's interesting. So running has kind of become the gold standard, I assume, because it involves the most movement of all the sports. Or is there something that is even more challenging? So in terms of breast movement, we've found, well, we've only we've only tested a small selection of activities, but we've found jumping actually elicits a lot more movement than running. I think running has been chosen because the highest number of athletes do running. Um, that may, Most of those are recreational athletes that just go for a run once a week. But there's many, many more people that do running than, for example, play lacrosse or like water polo or kind of competitive swimming. It's just I think that's that's why it's been based on running. It's also quite easy, like it's quite an easy thing to test because a lot of sports do have running. So you can kind of argue, yeah, the hockey player is going to run or a footballer is going to run and a runner is obviously going to run. So you can kind of apply it to a lot of different areas. But other sports have much more complicated demands than if you're just going to test something whilst running. What makes someone good at doing the kind of work you do? So most people that work in our group, they have some kind of academic background. Again, that, that can be really varied. So they could they could have done a psychology degree. A lot of people have done a sports science degree. So they've got some kind of biomechanics understanding. Or you can come more from science like I did with a physics degree. You have to be good with people because obviously we're working with ladies all the time and sometimes in quite vulnerable situations if for example we're doing bare-breasted testing like you have to be comfortable chatting to people and make them feel comfortable you have to have the kind of practical skills to be able to work all the lab equipment we work with quite a lot of different pieces of technology so you have to be quite confident in yourself that you can kind of get things to work and you can troubleshoot issues when they arise which they always do <laughs> and then also you have to want to communicate your findings to people so quite good kind of oral and written communication skills uh, because that's one of the most important things we did there's no point doing all the science if we don't then kind of shout about it and tell people kind of everything we find out and give them advice did you have that those skills and that desire to you know communicate to the public and work with study subjects before you got to this lab or was that something you had to kind of develop on the fly I definitely had to develop that because like doing physics you never you never work with living subjects it's always like springs and bits of wood or lasers so that was definitely a skill I had to pick up very quickly like one of the very I think it was probably my second week on the job I had to do some company testing so I had kind of 12 women turn up at the lab and I had to you know seem confident and like make them feel at ease when I really didn't know what I was doing <laughs> so that was something I definitely picked up very quickly and also on the writing side of things again from my undergraduate we didn't we never really had to do presentations or anything like that which you do have to do in other degrees so that was something I had to learn quite quickly but 
having done the PhD, I got quite a lot of support from my supervisors and other people in the research group. Um, and the, the department is really good at giving like postgraduate students that opportunity to present their ideas. So you get more and more confident as you go along. Do you have friends come to you for advice about sports bras a lot? They do tend to ask sometimes, perhaps if they were going to buy a new bra, for example, they might be like, oh, which is the best one now? Which unfortunately I'm not allowed, <laughs> not allowed to say, but I can definitely give them fitting advice or, you know, sometimes if their bra's not quite right, I'm happy to like go and have a look for them and check Oh, you're actually not allowed to tell your friends, like, if you have an opinion on a certain brand or a, a certain bra of performing well in studies? I can give them my opinion. So, for example, I might, if they were doing the same sport that I do, I could say, well, I like this bra for this activity. But if they ask me which is the best performing bra, we're not allowed to share that information. <laughs> like, in terms of the ones that we've tested, it might get back to other companies. And I don't know, that would probably start a whole thing. <laughs> So it like really is top secret work that you're doing. Yeah, I think every few years we go through a cycle of wondering whether we should just publish all the names of all the brands, but it always comes back to no, because um, a lot of brands really like the confidentiality aspect of it. But a lot of people do say, especially if we test products, like companies will get a graph of where their product sits compared to all the others we've tested. So then obviously the next question is like, well, who whose was that one or whose was the best one? Whose was the worst one? And we don't share that information currently. So what's the argument against just publishing a research paper where you're like, yeah, we have all this data. Here it is. And here are the names. So we have published research papers where we've given the brand of the bra, but that tends to be like a much more fundamental question that we're asking. So it's not a direct comparison of one product versus another product. It will be, for example, like how much did your breast accelerate during this activity in a high support condition versus a low support condition. I think the way the university works is they have separate, the kind of the commercial side and the research side are kept quite separate and the companies will sign different kinds of contracts and the, the people who work on those will be focused on different things. And I think the commercial side at the moment is very much separate to that research side because a lot of the companies like that we don't share the data. So I think we would we haven't ever shared it all because we might lose some of those relationships that we've had for quite a long time with companies. So you mentioned that there was kind of the commercial side and the research side. What side do you consider yourself on? In the past, I've always been much more on the research side. As my project has evolved, it's become a bit more on the commercial side, just because we're now at the stage where we're wanting to develop and kind of market products based on my research. But I'm probably much more on the research side than other members of our research group that almost exclusively just do company testing. Is there one piece of advice that you would give someone who's like brand new to the research group about being successful there? It's probably like being good at listening, I'd have thought. So listening kind of in all, in all aspects, listening to companies when you're meeting with them, listening to a lady when she's telling you about all the issues she has with her breast you have to really kind of listen and try and understand where they're coming from and that's when you can give the best advice I think. Well thank you so much for joining us this was really fun. Thank you lovely to talk to you. That's it for this episode of Working. Again I'm Shannon Paulus. If you liked this episode please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to email us at working at slate.com. Working is produced by Jessamine Molly. 
Special thanks to Justin D. Wright for our ad music. Thanks for listening. Catch us next week for another episode on running. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.